It's a joy to be with you again as we open the pages of God's Word. And we're searching in the Scriptures for the principles that govern that manifestation of God's presence and glory in our own lives, personally, especially in the church, so that it can be quickened, motivated, and used of God and fruitful in every good work. But we also want an awakening in our land and in the nations of the earth. We want to see God glorified. And we've been looking over the last few episodes at the glory of God when he awakens the church or awakens a nation or restores a nation or awakens a human heart, just like yours, just like mine. I think it's a wonderful thing when I turn to the 33rd chapter of Exodus and I read the tremendous conversation that Moses, who was said to be the meekest man on earth, or whoever was, and he is talking to God, his father, the God that's called him out of obscurity, preserved his life, protected his life, has led him in a remarkable, miraculous way to stand before Pharaoh, who was the supreme leader, not only of Egypt, but the known world. And here he stands before God, now the shepherd of Israel, the prophet, the patriarch of Israel. And Moses says to God these words, You have been telling me, lead these people but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You see, Moses is saying there that he's feeling in himself so inadequate. That's not a bad place to start, friends. When we are full of ourselves, when we are self-confident, we're less to be confident in God. We're more prone to draw upon the resources that we believe we have within us to do the work for God, the work of God, the work in the place of God. And that's where we always trip over ourselves. Uh, Moses knows that really he hasn't the wherewithal. He hasn't the ability. In fact, right from the very first moments of his call from God, he said, I'm not, I'm not capable. I'm not able to be even your voice piece. Please send, well, send my brother Aram. Send someone else. And here he is, after the deliverance, in the wilderness, standing before God, saying, you have still not told me who you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. If you want to know what revival is, it's the awakening within ourselves of realisation that we need the Lord. We need not just a knowledge of God, theoretically, doctrinally, we need to have a revelation of God by the Spirit of God. We need to have a relationship with God. We need to, as Jesus was later to say, to abide in him and have him abide 
within us. That's the essence of a true spiritual life. And of course, the Lord responds to Moses as he does to all of us when we hunger and thirst after his presence, after righteousness. Anything that pleases God will bring the presence and the favour of God into our lives. The Lord replied to Moses, You want to know who I'll send? My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. Now that is a most an amazing prayer request, isn't it? Lord, show me your glory. I think that that probably, that glory of God, is what we're all hungering and thirsting for. It's what we long to have in our lives, an understanding and an experience, a revelation of the glory of God. Well, what is the glory of God? What is its essence? What is its evidence? And to what extent can we know the glory of the Lord, of his nature, his presence, his power? And of course, those wonderful revelations have come to many of God's prominent servants. We remember in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah saw the glory of God, the very presence of God, the throne of God. And as we turn across to his uh, wonderful book of prophecies, Isaiah chapter 6, he says there in the very year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Is it possible for you and I, very human beings, mortal beings, even though we are forgiven of a sin and washed clean, is it possible for us to have a revelation of the glory that is God's alone? Remember Jesus said that in the pattern prayer we should climax all the requests that go before with the reminder that it is his who owns the kingdom, has the power and has the glory. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. We really need to know what we are hungering for when we say, oh, we want to know, we want to see, we want to have, we want to experience the glory of God. Well, <laughs> what is the glory of God? Well, it's his holiness. It's the manifestation of his presence. It is an understanding of the authority and power of his name. And it's the ability to discern the essence of his nature. 
which is perfect in every way. All to know the glory of God. And that is one of the most amazing experiences that mankind has ever had. Isaiah was very, very quick to say that when he saw the glory of God in the person of the one sitting on the throne and heard the angels crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. He says here he fell on his face before God. And the Bible tells us here that he cried out, woe to me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Well, he was not the only one. We know that Daniel, after God revealed his glory to him in prophetic words and in the actions that would come at the end of the age, he too fell on his face and shook with the glory of God. Or was it with the, with the sense within him that he had seen the glory of God? And what about Peter? In Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, he got a glimpse of the glory that was Jesus when Jesus took them out into the centre of the Sea of Galilee, told them where to cast their nets. And they'd been doing that the previous night and got nothing. And when all of a sudden they simply obeyed Jesus and cast their nets, those nets began to break because they were so full. You see, the glory of God was shown to a simple fisherman. As he saw it, he said, Oh, Depart from me. Oh God, depart from me. I am a sinful man. You see, it's the same recognition of our sinfulness, our waywardness, our limitations in comparison to the Lordship and the glory of God. Well, he's not the only one. Remember, uh, the Apostle Paul said, that God revealed himself to him, an apostle out of time. And he said, I'm not one whit behind the chief apostles because I've seen the Lord. And he was very, very clear that that had absolutely broken his spirit and brought him to a place of absolute and utter reliability on the Lord, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When we have a glibness in our church meetings, in our church attitudes, in our personal attitudes, when we are casual, when we are sort of just uh, going through the motions and probably in our own minds loving God and wanting to serve God, when there's still that glibness, that is an indicator that we have never seen or being touched by the glory of God or certainly not for a long, long time time. The glory of God coming to us, the revelation of God coming to us, the voice of God coming to us, transforms our mind, our heart, and certainly breaks our spirit, that human spirit that is so haughty 
and so self-seeking. We want to be like David of old, who says, One thing I have sought, and that I keep seeking, Psalm 27, and that is to see the Lord in all of his glory. Have you got that desire? Have you got that longing? Have I? I pray that I will have a greater and a deeper longing to be in his presence, to sense that presence, to know that presence, and in knowing the presence, to hear the voice of God. That will transform our whole outlook. It will take away that sense of emptiness just by being filled with the vision of God. And of course, Ezekiel said the same thing, and you turn across in this wonderful book of God to the first chapter. He was by the river Shabar, and he said, I had visions of God. And when he saw these visions of God and the marvelous vision that he had, he said, I, as it were, fell at his feet. And that's found in the last verse of the first chapter of Ezekiel. He says, The appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of him speaking. The presence of God fills our heart, sobers our mind, attunes our spirit, tenderizes our heart, and then in that prepared heart that we have, by just witnessing the glory of God, he begins to speak. That's what happened for Isaiah, that's what happened for Ezekiel, for Jeremiah, and on through the scriptures. The glory of the Lord. I suppose, in essence, we could say on the Damascus Road, the glory of the Lord appeared to Saul of Tarsus. And, of course, Saul asked two questions on that occasion. The first one was, who are you, Lord? He'd been battling with, with who Jesus is. And, of course, the answer comes back, I am Jesus. You are persecuting me in that you are seeking to destroy my church, my people, my servants. And then Saul of Tarsus says the second thing, and it's not only who are you, but what would you have me to do? You can't have an encounter with God and not be changed in attitude and in desire and become just absolutely absorbed in him and wanting his will, his purpose, his plan in your life. The pursuit of the glory of God. Moses knew that he had seen the power of God in the plagues that had ultimately given the Israelites freedom to leave Egypt. He had seen how God manifested his presence, his power, and fulfilled his prophetic word. And he said that was just so amazing. But as he leads possibly three million Israelites and they go towards the promised land, Moses said, I need your presence. 
I need your presence. And we'll turn back to the 33rd chapter of the book of Exodus. I think this is a remarkable portion of scripture. We're talking pre the New Testament and the outpouring of the Spirit, where you and I and all of us, not just chosen vessels, but those of us that are born of the Spirit of God can go on to know the Lord in a very real way. Moses said in verse 18 of chapter 33 of Exodus, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You cannot see my face, for no one can look upon me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you there with my hand until I have passed by. Well, my dear friend, what a wonderful experience it was. And Moses needed that. And I would say that that lingering longing that you have in your heart, that ache, that desire, that irrepressible desire that you have inside of you is to know in depth and breadth the power and the presence of the living God. Yes, we each have this pursuant desire, show me thy glory. I suppose in a slightly off-the-beam way, that was what Philip was saying in the book of John in the upper room. Remember, they were gathered there on the very eve of the crucifixion. And we have this amazing time when they are sitting there and, of course, they were having this beautiful time together. And it's Philip who says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. In other words, as we sit here in this beautiful atmosphere of God, with a realisation of pending miraculous evidences of God, show us, just give us a glimpse He's virtually asking the same thing that Moses asked. Let's see the glory of God. And Jesus says to him, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been with you and been among you for a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And it was John who, when he penned the Gospel of John, Right there in the first chapter, John chapter 1, he says these words, And we beheld his glory. That's found in verse 14 of chapter 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, and we have seen his glory. 
potentially you have entered into the glory of the presence of God when you received Christ as your Lord and Saviour. You repented of sin. You turned from sin. You placed your absolute faith in the finished work at Calvary to give you that redemption that Jesus promises. And that was merely the gateway into a further ongoing walk with God where increasingly you would know his presence and the glory of the Lord would come upon you and envelop you. How wonderful that is. Well, it was John on the Isle of Patmos that had had a very intimate relationship with Jesus who on that isle had this wonderful day. He said, I being in the spirit on the Lord's day, worshipping the Lord in the spirit, waiting on God in the spirit, suddenly the spirit of God lifted him up into heights he had never been. And he saw heavenly things, things that Paul said were hard to describe and perhaps shouldn't be described. But because there was a message in all that John had revealed, he does give it to us. And it is the revelation of the Spirit of God that he had on the Isle of Patmos, the revelation of Jesus. And when he saw Jesus glorified, just as he had on that high mountain in Israel. Remember that? When Peter, James and John went up the mountain and Jesus was transfigured before them, they were just overwhelmed. And what happened there? They fell on their faces before him. Someone said not so long ago when they were reading about Daniel, when Daniel heard the voice when Daniel heard the word of God, Daniel had the future explained to him in such graphic detail. He fell on his face before God, trembling. He fell on his face in awe. He fell on his face in adoration. And someone said, how wonderful that was. Lord, bring the tremble back into the church. Bring the quaking back into the church. We remember in history that the Quakers were people that waited on God, waited before God, waited for the presence of God, waited for the manifestation of the glory of God. And on many occasions happened, they began to tremble, they began to shake, they began to come under the influence of the Spirit of God. But it was their spirit responding to the Spirit of God. The preciousness and the prizing of this glory. You know, sometimes in my own life, and I know others have felt the same way, that we receive great manifestations of God and the danger is that we hold lightly to it. We soon forget. We get caught up in our own little world. And we're going to revisit that transfiguration experience by turning to Matthew's Gospel. It's a beautiful account. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up into the high mountain by themselves. 
There he was transfigured before them. In other words, they saw Jesus in all his glory as much as it was possible for human beings to see the manifestation of God in this human form that they'd come to know as Yeshua or Jesus. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Oh, if you wish, I will put up three tabernacles or shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except him, Jesus. Wow! This remarkable, amazing thing. There's a message here because as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. There is a time when you will be able to share all that you have experienced this very day. But wait until my death, my resurrection and the ascension, when the outpouring of the Spirit has come. Could it be that he's saying there that that will be the time when not only you who have been chosen to see this phenomena, but all that love me, all that are filled with my spirit, all that have a pure and governed heart will have the potential to see the same glory, the glory of the Father. Oh, wouldn't you love God to just walk into your church service this coming Lord's Day? Wouldn't you love to see God manifest himself in new ways where the church just fell before him in absolute adoration, expectation and worship? And wouldn't you love in your own life to draw near to God and have him in a manifest way draw near to you. There will be a change in our lives. I know there's been a change as a result of our conversion, but there needs to be a change in our lives, in our progressive walk with God. As we walk humbly before him, as we serve him, as we love him, as we give ourselves daily to him, we need to be changed. We need a revival now. I need it. I'm sure I can hear your amen as well. Let's pray 
that we might be caught up with the presence of God in such a wonderful way that we will see his glory. The beautiful part about Mary of Bethany was that she had one glorious desire and that was to sit in his presence, hanging on to every word that he spoke. And as she sat there listening, Martha, who was intent, sincerely so, intent on serving, said, Oh, Master, talk to Mary and tell her, you know, to come and help me. And Jesus said these words. He said, Martha, Martha, you are troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that very important part or that better part. And what was it? Well, it's, as we find in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, it's to sit in his presence. Those that wait upon the Lord, said Isaiah, shall renew or exchange their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and they won't fall apart at the seams. They will walk and they won't collapse. You see, the presence of God manifest to us brings with us such heavenly strength and stability and vigour and a power within us that we didn't bring about ourselves. Oh, pray that we will enter into a new revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and following on to know him, will have manifestations of God's Spirit. Mm -hmm.